Welcome to Edgemont Bible Church in Fairview Heights, Illinois, where our mission is to glorify God by guiding people into a discipleship relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's listen in to today's message by our pastor, Douglas A. White. Who's your hero? Who's your hero? I know you may say my dad, my, my, my mom, could be a friend, could be a lot of things. I'm wondering if Jesus is so far from us, so much different from us if, if we don't see him the way he really is. If we don't see him that he is the greatest hero you could ever possibly have. There can't be a greater model of, of humanity than him. He's the greatest man that ever lived. And uh, just so you'll get a picture too, Today, we're going to see that he's the greatest commander that ever lived as well. There's no one, I think we need to know for sure that God is a warrior, that there are times when God knows when to fight, God knows when to make peace, God knows when to do all those things, and Jesus Christ is his example. So I'd like to just share with you the greatest man ever, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and the greatest commander ever. I'm going to say this, no man is more manly than the Lord Jesus Christ. Nobody. If you want to know what's manly, it's Jesus. That's the manly person. You may have a lot of people that you appreciate because of the rough things they've been through and, and that sort of things, and they've survived and all this. Kids, Jesus is the one who went through the roughest of all things and came through them spotlessly. So he is the most manly man that could be. He is God in a humble human body. Philippians chapter 2 and Hebrews chapter 2 both remind us that he was made a little lower than the angels. Now, kids, this is the Son of God. This is the one through whom everything was created, living in a frame like you and I have. Matter of fact, let's go a step lower. Living in a frame that's not middle class. He's going to be in a lower class frame. You, you follow where I'm at? That's what he's living in. He's not going to be a, a good-looking fellow. He's not going to be anything in particular that you're drawn to that. He wanted you to be drawn to the God that's in him. He wanted you to be drawn to that, that the Father who had sent him. He is God in a humble human body. I'd like to talk a little bit more about that, but I think you know Philippians 2, Hebrews 2. I'm going to go on because we've got some uh, time situations today. Jesus said of himself that he was meek. So he is meek. What is meant by meek? I think many of you know the, the definition that's given. It says strength under control. Let me just say this. His is immense strength under control. This is a holy God living among sinful people and not killing them. This is the same holy God that said, when I'm on that mountain, keep everything away from the mountain or it will die. Keep everything away from that. Don't let anything touch that mountain. For if it touches, it will die. That same Jesus is having lepers touch him. That same Jesus is being embraced by people who've just been returned to normal. That same Jesus is himself touching people. That's immense strength under control. When it, looked, when it says that the Lord Jesus Christ would be in a room and he'd ask a question, one that's so simple to answer that the Pharisees should have been able to answer it, but because they were afraid to answer the question the way he wanted the answer, they remained silent. And it says that he looked around the room in anger and awe at how silly they were. They wouldn't answer the obvious. 
Kids, that's strength under control. That's Jesus being God in the flesh. He did not use his deity to overwhelm those around him. He's not, uh, not doing a showboat thing. Watch this. Here's what God can do. Watch this. Here's what God can do. Nothing like that. He didn't do it to overwhelm people. And if I can say letter B, he used his strength only to demonstrate the power and sovereignty of God over everything on the earth. There wasn't anything on this earth that he didn't have complete sovereignty over. That should have been a giveaway. As soon as he was able to change water to wine, that should have been a giveaway. How can that possibly happen? The moment that he can take a hand that's all withered and that hand be complete with all its ligaments, all its muscles, all its bones, all its joints intact. Kids, that happened immediately when he was there. He's the one that can take blind eyes and they can see. That's control. He's not doing it to do any other thing but to demonstrate the great power, love, and sovereignty of Almighty God. That's the only reason he used it. While being all that, he is gentle, kind, humble, full of compassion. And then I put on this, but not nice. Now, let me tell you what I mean by that. If, if sometime, look at the etymology of the word nice. It comes from two Latin words, one that means no, and the other that means knowledge. To be a nice person is to be an ignorant person. You follow where I'm coming from? Now, all of you who want to be nice, don't be nice. Be kind. To nice is what they, they wanted in the king's courtyard. They wanted people in the king's court who didn't think because they were the ones that would laugh at his jokes. They were the ones that would believe his stories. They were the ones he could tell anything to. That's not what Jesus was. Jesus knows the heart of every single person that he was looking at. And he knew how to speak the words that would speak to that heart. He could cut to the heart so quick. He could say the thing that was on the person's mind that he would never say out loud but Jesus would point it out. I've done everything I need to do to earn eternal life. What else do I need to do? Hmm, go and sell everything you have and follow me. Oh, wow. Okay, my security just left me. I can't do that. Okay. Only Jesus can do that because only Jesus is the one who knit everybody he was looking at in the wombs of their mothers, brought them to life, gave them life, knew them inside out. Jesus knew that and used his strength under control. There's no cowardice or fear in him. That's the perfect person. There's no cowardice or fear in him. How many times was it they were ready to stone him and he walked through the midst of the crowds? This is a guy that can sleep in a boat that's in the middle of a storm. And you have to be awakened by your disciples to say, hey, we're dying. Get up. Do something. This is the one who, with that mighty strength, can say to the storm, be quiet. He's the commander of all the host of heaven and was always aware of what he could command at any time and it would be done, yet he did not. When he could have called any of the host of heaven at any moment and be just in doing it. This is not a vindictive thing. He'd be very just in doing it. He didn't. 
He showed what he'd already said of himself in Exodus 34, that I am gracious, I'm merciful, I'm full of compassion, full of truth, I'm long-suffering. Jesus showed that he was God in the flesh. He could live under any conditions at any time without complaint. You don't see Jesus saying, where are we going to stay tonight, boys? I'm looking for about a five-star he told one guy who came and said to him, I'd like to follow you. Okay. I don't have a place to lay my head. You want to follow me still? Well, Jesus was an outdoor guy. Kids, he knew how to build a fire. He knew how to cook fish. He knew how to feed folk. He knew how to sleep on the ground. He knew what it was to be in the heat. He knew what it was to be in the cool. He knew what it was to be sleeping at night and when it's cold. He knew it all. This is a manly man, the greatest man that was ever. He handled criticism, rejection, hate, bigotry, and betrayal with complete grace. Peter can deny him three times, and Jesus already tell Peter, this is what you're going to do. And Jesus never brings it up with him again. When Peter does what Jesus said he was going to do, Jesus doesn't bring it up. Brothers and sisters, that's a man. That's a man who's very confident with himself. That's a, very, that's a man who's very confident with his God. He's now being revealed to us in what we're going to read today in his person as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We've seen him in his priestly role. That's in Revelation chapter 1. I'm going to ask you to turn there with me just briefly because I, I want you to see the description that's given there in Revelation chapter 1. We read it before. We studied before. We looked at it. He had said earlier that a loud voice is of a trumpet in verse 11 says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. What you see, write in a book and send to the seven churches. He tells them where to send it. Now watch. It says, Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. Now I want you to get the picture, kids. The Jesus that I just described to you is the Jesus that the disciples saw on earth. Common clothes. Nothing special. No special robes, special crafted robes, but they were at a special price. They were common everyday things. That's not what you're going to see right now. Listen to what it says. I turned and I saw one like the Son of Man clothed with a garment down to the feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. That was the description of Jesus in his priestly role. That's when he's praying for the churches of Jesus Christ. But kids, we've come to the near to the book, the end of the book of Revelation, and it's already been shown Babylon's gone. Babylon is not a problem to us anymore. 
And now we're gathering this thing up. We've already harvested a bunch of unbelieving folk. They've already been out of the way. We're now down to the last armies of the world who actually have enough arrogance to believe they can fight and win against the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And now, stepping out of his priestly role, because he has already done for his people what he's going to do, He has stepped into his role as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Now we see him in his conqueror role. Conqueror role, okay? We see him in his priestly role. Now we're going to see him in his conqueror role. This is the greatest commander ever. He says there that he saw heaven opened even more. Now I'm going to remind you, heaven's been opened since the sixth seal. It's been opened up so the people now have been able to look into heaven for some time. But they've been opening other windows in heaven also that you're now seeing bigger things take place. And now the last scene is about to take place, and the last part of heaven is going to be open. And when that last part of heaven was open, that's a breathtaker. Look if you would and see, see what it says. Let's go back to Revelation 19. <clears throat> it says, And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. Let's take a look at this. This warrior is coming from heaven. This is Lord, and I'm going to have you write this word in there, Sabaoth. Sabaoth. That means hosts. You find this in the Scriptures. It's in there 265 times in the Scriptures. It describes Jesus as being the Lord, the captain, the commander over all the hosts of mankind or all the hosts of heaven. All of that is under his control. That makes him greater than anything else in heaven. And as that great commander, he's revealing himself now. That's who you get to see. No, you're not seeing gentle, meek Jesus in earthly clothes. You're not seeing priestly Jesus in garments that are made to stay clean, pretty, and white. What you're seeing now is the conqueror who has in his long suffering waited thousands of years, waited for the, to answer the prayers of millions of people, and he is stand, sitting there on his horse right before all, and he's called faithful and true. This is the Lord Sabaoth sitting on a white horse. This is the Lord Jesus Christ, since he is called faithful and true. Uh, I'm going to ask you to turn with me to Isaiah 11 just for a moment. Isaiah 11. This is a passage of Scripture that's being memorized by the students at Berean Christian School this quarter, and I, or this month, I should say. And I want you to see what a great passage of Scripture this is. This is about the Lord Jesus Christ. If I can get to it. There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse. A branch shall grow out of his roots. Jesse, by the way, is David's father, and it, the the... The Messiah was to come from the lineage of David. A branch shall grow out of his roots. It says this, the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. Now that spirit of the Lord, that's L, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That's the name. That is the spirit of Yahweh. That is the spirit of that which exists forever. That which doesn't need anything outside of it. This is God that doesn't need anything. This is God that creates. That's the spirit that's resting on. Why am I bringing it up to you? Because you are looking now at the seven spirits of God. Follow with me here. It says, this is what's going to be on him. 
The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. So the spirit of eternal life is on him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. Look, you can have wisdom if you don't have understanding. You're messed up. Solomon had lots of wisdom. But his understanding got weaker and weaker as he got older and older, and he compromised his faith in the, uh, in the living God with all the other gods around. Solomon lacked, he had wisdom, but lacked understanding. Jesus has wisdom and understanding. He's the source of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of, the, of counsel and might. You can have counsel if you don't have a, a, the, the might to back it up. You're just talking. But if you have might and you don't have counsel, you're dangerous. Jesus has counsel and might. That's, that's five and six, all right? Uh, I'm sorry, that's four and five, yeah. And the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. You can know a lot of things, but if you don't know you're accountable for what you know and the way you live those things out, you're in a mess. But if you have the fear of the Lord, but you don't have knowledge, you at least have some good thing going for you, but you don't know how to use what you have. Jesus has it all. Now go on with me further because I want you to see what it shows. His delight is in the fear of the Lord. Now watch this. He shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his ears. <coughs> with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his loins and faithfulness the belt of his waist. When Jesus is called faithful and true. That's because Jesus is going to remain faithful to what God said. He's going to remain faithful to the witness and testimony. He's telling the truth, always telling the truth, and he's going to judge this world in righteousness. You don't have to worry about him coming just simply as a vindictive commander using his armies just to destroy people. This one's coming and everyone's going to agree he's 100% right. The ones he's coming against had it coming. Even they are going to understand. They had it coming. They know it's their destruction. All right? His eyes, look what it said. I'm sorry. He's coming in righteousness to finish the judgment on sinners. That's what it's about, kids. And that's why everybody in heaven is rejoicing about this thing. Because they know he's not doing anything whimsical. Jesus is doing what is righteous. And everybody's going to agree with it. It should have been done. It needed to be done. Everybody's been crying out for it to be done. And it is being done now. His eyes are like a flame of fire. His judgment burns away all excuses and gets to the core of the wrong. You ever had your mom or dad look at you when you know you've done something wrong and it didn't take anything but the look? You looked at them and uh, they looked at you and you confessed. <laughs> you know, they didn't even say, did you? And, yes, I did. Before it happened. Can I tell you this? There are no excuses. When Jesus looks those eyes of flame of fire at you, it burns away every excuse. Everything you thought you were going to do, every false motive you had that thought would protect you, every little excuse is gone. When the eyes of Jesus look at you, you'll agree with Jesus. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and he burns away all excuses and gets to the core of the wrong. He wears many ruling crowns. Look what it says about him. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And the word for crowns there is diadem. The word diadem is about a ruler, so he's wearing many crowns. You remember what it said to us earlier? 
that his father had just given him all the kingdoms. All kingdoms belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. So she's wearing the crowns. And I'm going to say to you, that's not simply the kingdoms of the earth. The kingdom of heaven he is in charge of as well. All the rebellion there has been in heaven. You remember there was a war in heaven that kicked those guys out. Now they're about to be done. The whole thing's about to be over. Why, guys? Because Jesus is bringing together the rebellious kingdom of heaven, the rebellious kingdom of earth. He's bringing them back together like they were at Eden because he is the Savior of heaven. He is the Savior of earth. He is the Lord. He is God, and he is man. He brings both kingdoms together. Now the kingdom of God is whole again because of the Lord Jesus Christ. Can you see why the righteous angels were getting happy? Can you see why the righteous humans were getting happy? This is the whole thing we've been waiting for since the beginning. Everything's about to be restored as it was in the beginning. And the pain, the sorrow, the death, the deceit, all of that's about to be gone, kids. And it's sitting on that horse. He has an ancient name written long ago that no one knows but him. Why? Because he's before time. Listen, listen, look again what it says. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. Now I want to take you for just a moment, a little walk on the platform. I, I guess I get tired and I need to walk. But anyway, beginning of time. The cross in the life of Jesus. End of time. God stands outside of all of that. He's eternal. He created this. This is, this is uh, for him, just as real a thing as you making a cabinet. He's made this, and he knows the beginning from the end. He knows exactly what he's going to say. That's why he said you should worship him and him alone, because no other God, no other thing called God, no other being in the universe can know what's going to happen the next day. He not only knows what's going to happen the next day, he knows what's going to happen at the end of time. He knows how he's going to bring it all to a close, and he's standing outside of this. Now, I want you to get this picture. There's the creation. Back here is eternity. I'm going to call it eternity past as if there was such a thing. There is no such thing as eternity past. I'll call it eternity before time came to be. Here we go. He's back here. And that's, kids, when they are speaking together. Wouldn't you like to know that language? This is the creator of languages. Who, who do you think created all those languages at the Tower of Babel? How, how much information is in the mind of God? Boy, I love seeing that. Who, who's going to counsel God and who's going to ask him questions and all? Yeah, who would? And he's back here. <laughs> before there's even hosts. And he's writing a name on himself in a language that only he knows. And he's the one who's writing it. It is written on him. That's what I want you to see about this. He didn't write it. It uses the word that's in a passive tense, which had been written on him and remains written on him. I don't know where it was. I'm thinking because he's, it's in reference to the same crowns, it's probably on his forehead. But I don't know that because it doesn't tell us where that name was written. But I'm thinking because it's in reference to the crowns and stuff, it's probably written on his forehead. Well, let me go on further. He's wearing a robe that's dipped in blood. And for that, 
Isaiah 63, 1-6. You'll, you'll just have to go there a little bit later because that talks about God thrashing his enemies and there's a, a robe that's, that's dipped there. A lot of questions about whose blood is on that. Is it Jesus' own blood that's on that? Is it the blood of his enemies? I think it's the blood of his enemies. I don't think it's Jesus' own blood that's on there. He's already offered that blood to his father in uh, to, to pay for your sins. So I think this is going to be uh, robe dipped in blood. Now I want you to look what it says. Uh, <clears throat> he was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Let me just back up and, and share that with you. He's wearing a robe that's dipped in blood, and a name is written in the past, uh, is on his robe and on his thigh. Another name that was written someplace back here before time, probably about the time he's making the Lord of hosts, don't know for sure, because the way they use the word, because it's a past tense word, that's a passive word, it's also a completed action word, this thing says it was written sometime back here, and I want you to say this with me, because I think it's fun to say, all right? Basileus Basilon, Kai Karios Karion, can you say that with me? Basileus Basilon, Kai Kurios Kurion, all right? You just said, King of kings and Lord of lords. That's what's written on his, uh, the robe. Another name is given him, and that name is called, now I want you to say this one with me, Logos to Theo. Logos to Theo. That means the word of God. Now, why I want to do that? Because there's several things that can mean word. Rhema is a word that can mean word. Rhema means something that's spoken right now. But that's not what they gave him. He gave him the term logos. And logos is the full expression of God. When you are studying the, uh, matter of fact, that word logos is found in the words we use for just about every science thing we've got. We have biology, uh, and, uh, zoology, we have psychology, we got all kinds of ologies. And what we, what we mean by that, this is the words about that. So if I want to study about the psyche, here's the words about psyche. If I want to study the words about life, here's the words about life. If I want to study the words about animal life, here's the words about animal life. You follow where I'm at? And when you call him the logos of God, you're saying this is the full expression of what God is. Anything you'd want to know about God, here he is, sitting on a white horse, and he's about to take his enemies out. This isn't just a common circuit judge that's about to do something. This is not a lower-ranked army guy that's bringing things about. No, this is the Lord of hosts, the source of all wisdom and knowledge on whom sits the seven spirits. This is the God Almighty, and he is the, the armies in heaven are clothed in fine linen and white and clean. And as I looked at this, I thought, okay, that's got to be his, I don't think it's his angels. I think it's his wife. The one I saw clothed in clean and fine linen was his wife. The church of Jesus Christ is following him. That's why I'd, like, I'd love you to read Psalm 45, because Psalm 45 is about the king going out to conquer, to get all the enemies out of the way, and he's bringing his wife with him to that new world that he's about to create. Wow. What a great thing. Out of his mouth goes a sharp sword to strike the nations gathered against him. 
That sharp sword is the word of God. Jesus told them in uh, John chapter 12, and they said, we don't know that you're really the son of God. How are we going to know that? And he said, look, I'm not going to judge you, but I will tell you this. The word that I speak to you will judge you in that day. It's the word of Jesus that's judging people. Jesus is God's son. Do you accept those words? Are those true words to you? If you don't accept those true words, it's your death. Kids, look at this. It's the word that brought things into existence in the first place. It's the word when it was spoken is what caused things to come to life. It's the same word that's spoken that causes things to die. And that word of God, this one, is coming, and with his speaking, everything before him is dying. Armies had gathered against him. Matter of fact, they were prompted to come against him. Remember, the, they sent out these frog spirits that went out, and they went out to prompt everybody to come, and it says God put it in the frogs' hearts to bring people to that battle. Why? He wants to finish this thing, kids. He wants to finish it. And they're coming back in, all right? Let me go on further with you. Here's one I found that was interesting. He said, now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it he should strike the nations. So that's how they're going to die. It's going to be his word that strikes those nations and they die. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. See where it says he, he himself, uh, I'm sorry, he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. I was interested in that word. It's the word for shepherd. He will shepherd them with a rod of iron. Then I thought, yes, yes, Psalm 23. What is Psalm 23? Thy rod and thy staff comfort me. What about that? It's not because sheep get beat with the rod. It's enemies get beat with the rod. And the shepherd's not out to punish little enemies. You stay away from my sheep. He's going to kill them. Why? They're going to come back again. That's why Isaiah 65 says that the sinner will die at 100 when it's shown he's a sinner. Judgment will be instantaneous. He will judge with a rod of iron during that new kingdom that's coming up. He will shepherd them with a rod of iron. That is the scepter he will use in the new kingdom. And he's the one who will tread the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of, and I want you to say another one with me, Theos Pantocrator. Theos Pantocrator. That means God Almighty. Panto is the word which means everything. That includes everything. Crater is the mighty one. This is everything rule. This is he rules over everything. God Almighty is the one who's taking this step. That's who's making this great battle right here. He is Theos Pantocrator. And that's because he is, kids, Basileus, Basilon, Kyrios, Kyrion. He is the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. I want to encourage you today, trust Jesus Christ. This is not mythology. This is not little stories we're telling you. This is a continued story from a book that's, that tells you what happens out there that has been written from back here, ordained by God, 
led by God, inspired by God, using human authors. Why? Because God works with people. It's been about a union with us, kids. It's been about a union with us. And he's written this book. It's an inspired book. And it tells you one story all the way through today. If you haven't trusted Jesus Christ as Lord, Lord and Savior, let the eyes that burn with a flame of fire look at you and burn away all your excuses. You don't have one. Today's the day to trust Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior. Father, thank you for the good times you've given to us to know Jesus Christ. Thank you for the wonderful Savior that he truly is, and thank you for the awesome creator, the awesome pentacrator, the awesome one that he truly is. Father, bless us with the knowledge of that. Don't let anyone leave here that doesn't know that Jesus is their Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. That's, our, that's everything about us, kids. Don't look at the problems around. Look at the kingdom which is to come. Look to Jesus and the author and finisher of our faith. Father, thank you so much for the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for the joy we get to have being children of God. Now we ask that you would help us to be sensible and powerful children of God to do the things that you've called us to do and to do them with the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We hope God has encouraged you with today's message by Pastor White. Thank you for joining us at the Edgemont Bible Church. We'd love to have you visit us if you're ever in the area. For directions, more information, or to support the ministry of Edgemont Bible Church, please go to our website at edgemontbiblechurch.org. That's edgemontbiblechurch, all one word, dot org. You can also follow us on Facebook at Edgemont Bible Church, where the Sunday morning message is broadcast live.